0: Hey there, I'm Sasha. I'm a doctor, I'm a mom, and I'm a founder. I believe that women are overwhelmed and exhausted. So I founded a company called Brave Enough. Brave Enough helps thousands of women find clarity, set boundaries, and gain control of their lives. So welcome, sit back, and let's get into the good stuff. In the next several months, we are going to be bringing in some amazing conversations. These are conversations that I recorded with leaders, entrepreneurs, women physicians, lawyers, business leaders, thought leaders, content experts for the summit of 2020. And the conversations were so phenomenal and we received so many amazing feedback. 700 women listened to these conversations and just said, oh my gosh, we want them. We want them more. We want to hear them again. We want to listen again. So much wisdom there that we decided that we would go, we're going to play some of those conversations in the next several months on the Brave Enough show. So, If you know a woman in 2020 or 2021 who's like, hey, I need some encouragement. I need some wisdom. I need some truth bombs. I need some hope. (laughs) Encourage her to listen to the Brave Enough show. Share that message because here we go with some amazing conversations. I hope you are going to love it. In season three, episode nine, we revisit the 2020 Brave Enough Elevate Summit when Sasha interviews Dr. Linda Street. Dr. Street is a physician, speaker, negotiation, and career coach, and founder and CEO of Simply Street MD Negotiation Coaching. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Welcome to the Brave Enough Elevate Summit. It is my honor to have a good friend who is an amazing physician. She's a powerhouse. And the interesting thing and why I wanted her to come on today and teach us is because she has become a coach- and really, a consultant for professional women that need to learn how to negotiate. And I thought, okay, this is something that certainly in medicine and academia and private practice, whatever realm that we're in, whether it's in healthcare or not healthcare, I know many of you joining us are not in healthcare. Negotiating and learning how to negotiate is often something that none of us learned. In undergraduate or even in our professional uh, schooling and degrees. And yet it's something that all of us, as we know, there is a huge salary gap in, in, in the world. (laughs) So we need to learn how to negotiate. So thank you so much, Dr. Linda Street. You are the founder and CEO of Simply Street MD Negotiating Coaching. And thank you for coming on today and giving us your wisdom. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and help some ladies get more money. (laughs) Exactly. So give us the like two to three minute version of how did you find yourself, you know, educated, um, having completed a fellow a residency, a fellowship, you know, a decade plus of training and expertise, and then getting to a point where you realize like, I got to negotiate for myself. And not only did you learn how to negotiate for yourself, but really wanting to empower and teach women how to do that.
1: Right. So the Reader's Digest condensed version really goes back to the gender gap. So I had one partner, there were two of us in my division, and he was making $150,000 more than I was. granted he had other responsibilities had a lot of seniority so some of that pay difference was warranted but we were clinically seeing the same volume doing the same things day in day out um, aside from his administrative responsibilities so i was floored when i found out i was making $150,000 less um so from there i decided eh, I'm not so cool with this and figured out I need to learn everything I can to decrease that gap. So I read a ton of things and happened to be at a coaching group at the time and got a lot of coaching on really my mindset going into it because I started the process as a very me versus them. And when I shifted from that to a it benefits them to keep me too mindset. I was able to negotiate a $65,000 raise in academics. And so that kind of catalyzed this becoming an interest to serve others because I was like, wow, if I can do this, how many other people are making $65,000 less than what they should be being
0: paid? Mm -hmm. So what we know from the data is that you know, a lot of times we find out that our that we are part of the gender gap, that we're experiencing the gap, that our male colleagues are making much more than us. And commonly we hear, well, they're doing, they're taking more call or they're seeing more patients or they have more years of experience or they're doing these administrative jobs. But what we know from the data is that when we compare FTE to FTE, year to year, experience to experience, even first year, the gap starts your first year specifically for medicine out. So we know that uh, first year attendings um, in family practice or primary care, I should say, if you are a male, you make $17,000, your first contract you sign more than women. And I see this all the time. I see, you know, men getting a contract and they'll say well what about this what about that but women get a contract and they're like oh my gosh i got offered a job they want me i don't want to rock the boat i'm going to sign on the dotted line and then they find out two or three years later you know that seventeen thousand dollars now becomes with you know time and and interest becomes And over the course of our lifetime, a 35-year career, we actually make about $1.6 million less, million dollars less than our male colleagues. So what do you, what kind of limiting beliefs in our minds, because there are things that we can't control obviously, but we can control our thoughts. What do you hear as common themes that are are obstacles for women wanting to even negotiate? Right. So I actually asked this to a group
1: of women and the most common answer was, I don't want to be perceived as greedy. I don't want people to think um, that I'm aggressive. And a lot of it was based on this, if I ask, I'll be perceived this way. And so they didn't, because none of us want to be perceived as greedy. Like that's not something that most of us associate with our identity. And so if you think that negotiating for myself and advocating for myself, I like to use the word advocating because it feels better already. Like I'm advocating for myself. Of course you would. Um, When you're advocating for yourself, if you think that that's equivalent to a negative self trait, of course you don't wanna do that. And then I think the second most common thing I hear is, I have no idea how to do that, that's hard, that's uncomfortable. And that one just floors me because I'm like, um, you're awesome. You do all these hard things all the time, like it was no big deal. And this little thing is what's going to trip you up. Um, okay. And it's funny because people think of it as a choice between being comfortable and not negotiating or uncomfortable in negotiating. And really you're just choosing which flavor of discomfort you want you're either going to have the discomfort of negotiating now so that you can advocate for yourself and get a suitable contract, or you're going to have the discomfort later of seeing that that male colleague with the same experience is making $17,000 more, which is now $30,000 more, and you're going to feel undervalued. And being in a job and showing up to a job every day when you feel undervalued is a whole lot more uncomfortable than a temporary discomfort of negotiating.
0: Yes. I will uh, amen to that because and and it's interesting because um there, so there's a couple things I want to break down there. One is when I was writing and doing research for Between Grit and Grace, I found really interesting research on the dynamics and the social backlash that women experience when they go from advocating for others to advocating for themselves. So most of us in our jobs um, or in our families are very comfortable advocating for others, you know, Um, sticking up for our kids, standing up for our parents um, or our neighbors or our patients or a program we need or a resource that we need. We will advocate. But once we start to advocate for ourselves, oftentimes in the workplace, we do experience backlash. Women, not men. Men, it's a positive attribute when you advocate for yourself, but for women, it can be seen as a negative attribute. So we don't do it, right? Right. And I remember um, such a vivid, like this was probably one of the biggest wake up calls for me that bias even existed and I was privy to it, was I did a job for several years um, that was kind of a a new job. And I think this is what happens all the time. I, I would probably say this happens more than than not is you take on a responsibility as a woman. You're now doing a new title, a new job. It started out small with no pay, but now it's consuming a large part of your FTE and you're still unpaid. This is what happened to me. I went and asked for money. I was told no, I waited a year. I went and asked for money again. I was told no. And I told myself at that time if the answer's no, I'm walking away from this title. I'm not doing it because it's consuming so much of my work and my time. And That I was told no. So I gave up the position. No money. Three months later, a junior male faculty member takes the position. I was actually surprised because I thought this is not this is this is there's no pay for this. I'm surprised he would do this for nothing. He came to my office asked me for some advice on the position, and I told him what I what I how to do it, and blah blah blah. And he, I said, I'm actually just kind of surprised that you're doing this because it's a lot of work. And he said, Well, I'm getting paid thirty thousand dollars to do it. is <laughs> <It's not before>. all <laughs> Oh my gosh! I was so, I was just speechless. I couldn't even respond. Like I, I was so floored by this change that I was, I was just dumbfounded and. Um, it really taught me a a strong lesson because basically it wasn't for free. I didn't do that job for three years for free. I did. I paid to do that job. Right. And I think we have to look at differently that way. Like, so I coach a lot of women on work-life balance and they'll say, well, I really want to do this. Don't want to do this anymore. I'm doing it for free. And I'm like, you're not doing it for free. (laughs) you're paying to do that job. You're using your time, your energy, your resources, your knowledge, and your expertise to do a job. That's you paying. Right. No compensation. Exactly. Exactly. So what are some like, how do you, what are some like key, um, kind of thoughts that you plug into besides advocating for yourself what what else do you teach women how to just embrace the uncomfortableness of negotiating
1: right i think really shifting from the i'm doing this for me to they need you too so looking at the value you're providing because it's not a one-way street or they'd walk like they're not in the business of handing you checks for fun so looking at it as I'm bringing a lot to them too is I think helpful because for me in my environment that was such a shift of it's me versus him like he doesn't want to give me this money of course he didn't he wants to run his bottom line in a way that he doesn't have to give me that money but if the option is giving me the money or I walk all of a sudden giving the money to me is a lot more attractive so I actually walked in with a different contract and said they're willing to pay me this can you make me stay like, at that point, I was ready to go if they couldn't move some. But the way I looked at it was really that it benefited him to have me stay. It benefited him to have me feel fairly compensated. So I could focus entirely on my work instead of on being undervalued. So shifting to that mindset of they need me too. I'm bringing a lot to them that has value right? Because value, ultimately value is just what they're willing to pay for you. Mm -hmm. Like you have intrinsic value, but at the end of the day, the equation is what are they willing to pay to keep you there? And that varies situation to situation. What they're willing to pay you in a place where they've struggled to recruit somebody for five years in your subspecialty is going to be different than when they have five applications every
0: every year. Right, right. And I think also knowing your bottom like like knowing your like where you won't go but you know i i always tell people when you go into a negotiation you need to know two things you need to know um what your value is what you what they want because we often think about what we want but we don't we're not thinking about what they want and the truth of the matter is it's strictly business you are giving something they want so you need to actually know that know what they want and pro- and provide clear evidence of that so you know i always say you need to know two things you need to know what they want and how you're providing that in a clear one bulleted point evidence of what value you bring or what they're wanting from you and how you're delivering it and right. then the second thing is you need to know what your bottom line is like what's behind door b because It's one thing to go in and say, um, I want you to pay me X and then to say no. And then you just keep working or whatever versus I won't accept anything less than this or I'm, I'm taking door B. Right. And a lot of times people haven't really thought about that. They don't even know what's behind door B.
1: And I actually have people focus on two different numbers. So there's your bottom line number, which is the anything less than this, my alternative is better. Like walking. is better finding a new job is better xyz here is better and then i also want you to focus on a high expectation goal because it's good to know your bottom line but there actually is data that says that if you focus on high expectations you're more likely to achieve them so by having a goal of like say for example one hundred fifty thousand is average for your specialty Um, and your bottom line is i won't work for less than 150 i want to be at least average Well, if you go in with that mindset, the best you're ever gonna get is probably 150 because your brain's gonna keep circling back to that number and that's where you're gonna land um, in a best case scenario. Versus if you're like, you know what? I'm willing to stay for 150, but I'd really, really like 200. And you focus on that 200 you're more likely to land probably somewhere in the middle. And anything between your high expectation goal and that bottom line goal is the zone of possible agreement. Anything in that is a yes. Anything Mm -hmm. beyond your high expectation, they're probably not willing to pay. Anything, or or you need to set your expectations higher. Um, Anything below that bottom line, you're not willing to contribute and stay. So that's kind of that magic zone where an agreement can happen. And it tends to be a range, usually employers, some places are different, but most places have a range they're willing to pay within. And that's why you see some discrepancies in salaries. So you want to make sure that you're landing high enough in that range to feel valued. And then the Same thing about looking at what they're looking for. I actually have people do an exercise and it's really simple and goes back to like third grade science. So I have people draw a Venn diagram. So you draw those two circles that have the intersection point and there are your interests in what you're bringing, their interests and in where they want to be, and then where do they intersect, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to an institution where, for example, quality is huge, They have a lot of quality improvement projects. They like to look at their data and improve things, make new protocols, yada, yada, yada. And that's something you excel at, highlight that. If you're going somewhere where they want outreach to rural medicine, and that's really valuable to that institution, that's a core mission of theirs, a core value of that, you can offer something that fits within that scope. Tell them how you align with their mission. But you're never gonna present yourself that way if you haven't taken the time to see where are they headed? Where do they want to be? What are their goals?
0: Right. Well, and I think it's important that we also talk about, you know, when people talk about negotiation, we automatically think money but there's a lot of other things that you need to negotiate for yourself um, that are far beyond money. And I think that's time. Um, so uh, definitely, you know, or CME, um, professional development, are there leadership opportunities? You know, you can, you can, oftentimes you can negotiate for things that um, maybe you, you wouldn't even think about negotiating for. Maybe there is a professional development course that you really wanna take. Maybe there's some other type of education that you really want to pursue or some other area that you want to pursue. You know, those are all, everything can be negotiated, right? Um, all the way down to maybe it's that you want to go part-time or you want to change your FTE status and nobody's done it. I mean, I cannot believe how many times I get this question. I, there, I want to go part-time, but nobody has ever gone part-time in the history of my practice. I get that question all the time. I'm sure you do too. And I'm like thinking like, that is, that's part of our problem in the United States. That like, there's like two, tra- there's like you, if you're, if you're a doctor or you're an, an executive or whatever, you you are a high paying professional, you, it's full time or no time. It's, it's crazy. And the truth of the matter is that we are many different things beyond just being doctors or professionals or executives or business people. We are many different things and not at all stage of our life are we going to want to be or are we going to want to devote one point FTE to our jobs? But there's, there's, a, it's a skill that you have to learn is how to negotiate for that because I can't tell you how many times women are like, I want to go point eight or I want to go point six or I want to go point five, but no one's done it and I don't know how to negotiate. Right,
1: and that's a great way if they're not willing to like budge on their salary, like say their budget is X Y Z number. Um, actually this is how I started my current jobs negotiation. They gave me a number and I said, I'll work four days a week for that.
0: And Mm. they were like,
1: Oh, okay. Um, they're like, we really want you to work five. I was like, well, I'm thinking three to four anyway. So let's just do four for that number. And I didn't ultimately end up there, but I ended up not too far from there for four days a week, because to me, having that extra day a week was valuable. And I fit into the budget line that they had allocated for my position because That was their number that they had in their multifactorial budget. And I still fit their number. So they're happy. I'm only working four days a week. So I'm done. This is my Friday
0: Yay! <laughs> we're recording this. Um, and so everybody wins. That's so smart. And I think it's really important that we, that we also see the value in, you know, I th- A lot of people think like, okay, I really want to do this. an opportunity. And I think this is so important because we need women leaders so bad. We have such a leadership gap. And they'll say, I got offered this job, but this job requires me to be like 1.5 FTE. So I can't do the job and be 1.5 FTE because I have two, a two year old and a five year old. Mm -hmm. Well, how can you negotiate that job to be 1.0 FTE? So basically how can you negotiate for time? You know, very rare, I tell women all the time, like don't take a job that they're gonna increase your salary, but not give you any, and increase your responsibilities, but not give you any time to actually accomplish the job. Because basically what you're doing is you're just saying, I'm I'm now working 1.5. And all you're gonna do is Burnout. So I think it's so important to think creatively like you did, like you said, okay, this is your budget. Well, then I'm, that's a four day work week for me. That's what I can do with that money. And we really have to think strategically and creatively about this because we need you. We need you in that position. We need women in these leadership positions.
1: Right, and at the end of the day, I'm confident I can see all the patients they wanted to be seeing in four days. Their goals are met, my goals are met. I'm sleeping in on Friday. Everybody's happy. I get to take my kids to school. Novel concept. It's like filling those other cups because, really, at the end of the day, money is just an exchange for time. Like, we're earning money so we can buy back our time in some flavor or fashion. And so, it's super important to do that. And then, mindset wise, I think it's also good to think about your leverage there, right? So, I always think of leverage. Um, People like to make it more complicated than it is, like, oh, I should go read a book on negotiation. No, you should just think about it. Leverage is simply what do you have to lose if this deal doesn't go through? What do they have to lose if this deal doesn't go
0: through? And what do you have to tip that balance? And that's all it is. Yes, and I love that. And also, you know, I think one of the things that we have to do, which doesn't always, we don't always think about this, is in order for you to negotiate, you have to have value, as you said. You have to have leverage. That leverage is not something that you want to only demonstrate when you're in the negotiation. So right. one of the things that has I have learned is, you know, I always just assume people know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I assume, I assume people know the value of what I bring. But the truth of the matter is, and that hurt me for several years of my career because I would go give a talk or I would publish this and I wouldn't tell anybody about it because I just thought people knew or I don't know, it felt weird saying I'm doing this. But then once I started communicating my value and my attributions, um, my contributions and my attributes to my boss and to my direct report. That, that really changed my leverage because I just assumed he knew what I was doing. I assumed he knew the teaching I was doing and the publications I was doing or the leadership that I was, or the responsibility or what I was adding value. But I think it's really important to recognize that most leaders, they're so busy. They don't know what you're doing. They, they can't keep tabs on the value that you bring. So if you're doing a special procedure or you're seeing you know, starting a new clinic, or you're doing an outreach to these patients, or you're teaching or doing research or publishing in some fashion, you got to kind of tell them all throughout the year what you're doing, even if it's just a quick email, so they know the value that you bring. So then when you go to negotiate, it's not like, oh, and now I have to educate you. Right, right.
1: And that's really important for renegotiations. A renegotiation does not start the minute they hand you your contract a renegotiation starts the minute you just started your next cycle, right? Like it starts right after you signed the last one, because from the time you signed that last contract to the time you sign the next one is when you have the opportunity to maximize your leverage. Look at where they're headed. Look at how you can strategically fit in that mission so that you're invaluable to them. Look at different ways that you are specifically able to contribute beyond your clinical acumen. They can get, Lots of people that can fill a clinical role most of the time. But beyond that acumen, what do you bring? What do you, as a human being and as an individual, bring to the table that's unique, that can really push a project forward, that can push a mission forward? So that by the time you sit down to your negotiation, when you're like, look, this is what I need, you're so valuable to them that it's a no-brainer. They're like, okay. Like, they don't want you to walk.
0: Right, and it's funny because in the master class that I teach, we do this exercise, and I'm sure you do it too, where I have them list all of their attributes, and it's almost like they don't believe that they're their own attributes. Like when, and we do this, like we're like, like, oh yeah, I went and gave this to this, or I'm doing this thing, or I led this initiative, or I started this HIV clinic, or whatever, and I'm like, you did what? You started an HIV clinic, like all on your own? You, You teach residents at this thing? You made this program? Like That's huge. Does anyone know you're doing that? Or do you, did you get paid for that? Did you get a raise? No. Well, did you ask? No. I didn't think it was really that big of a deal. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I think we downplay so many of our contributions to our employer or our community or whatever, wherever we're negotiating. We have to really embrace that. And it's so anti, like you said, like women saying they don't want to seem greedy. I hear, I don't want to brag. I don't want to sound arrogant. Right. And
1: I think that sounding confident is not sounding arrogant. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can't, I have some people that just can't get past that mindset shift. They just can't quite get there. They're like, "Ah, I'm still bragging about myself. So brag about your clinic. Like this is your baby. You love that clinic that you made for that example. Talk about it. Be like, look, we've we're seeing all these extra patients. We've made this dent in the HIV rates in our community um, teen pregnancy rates, like whatever it is that you're doing. Talk about what's going on successfully there. If you just can't get past the, like I did this, we'll talk about what you did. And then by, by kind of adjunct, like they're going to figure out that you did that, but if that's what you need to do to let them know your value, go there. Like it's yeah. okay to separate yourself maybe one degree if you need to, to get your foot in the door and
0: kind of start. Right. right, this is so good. This is this is such great information. Okay, so I'm asking every woman that comes on to speak, what has 2020 taught you?
1: <laughs> what hasn't
0: 2020 taught me? hopefully probably <laughs> a quicker question. I know, uh, everyone, everyone goes like this. Every single person I ask this question goes, <laughs> like they have to like take a deep breath. Collective breath?
1: I think it's taught me that I can do it. Like, I mean, I was doing locums when the pandemic first started. So I was flying on airplanes once a week and, um, ended up shifting plans a little bit to make things work and it's okay. I will be fine. Like at the end of the day, I can do hard
0: things and it's going to be fine. I love that. I love, I love how all these women are just like, Women are so resilient. It's just amazing to me how resilient women are because everybody's just flexing and figuring it out. Um, so how can people find you? How can they find out about your, about your negotiation curriculum and all this, tell us.
1: Right, so I'm at www.simplystreetmd.com and it's all spelled just kind of how it's supposed to be. Um, I was blessed with marrying into a really easy last name. And I'm also on Facebook, I have a Facebook group called Negotiate Her um, that is dedicated to female physicians who are negotiating. But the website, if you're not a physician, since some of your audience falls into that group, the website is open for anybody. I have a contact me form and I just love talking to women about this because even if ultimately people don't become clients, like it's just so rewarding to see people take one more step towards advocating for themselves, towards being paid fairly. I will say, half the people that come to me don't ask for like top tier, ivory tower level um, wishes. They just want to be treated fairly. They just want to be compensated fairly. They're not looking for crazy, they're looking for fair.
0: Yeah, they're looking to be compensated for the work they do and what they they should earn, right? right. Well, thank you for helping women, um, empowering women pushing women forward. You know, this is my passion and I'm just so honored that you came on today. So if you are watching this episode and you loved it, which I'm sure you did, I will see you in the next episode.